listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. And as you go there, I bring you greetings from uh, the staff and the elders at Harvest Oakville. Uh, you just need to know it's like a coveted thing to get to come out here. So I feel like it's a very big treat to be here for my fourth time. And um, I know there's lots of people there who would love to come out here and visit all of you and see what God is doing in this church. And uh, thankful for uh, the leaders here, for Pastor Melvin and his family. And um, it's great to be here. Uh, this morning in our past passage in Philippians 2, um, we're going to learn about something that um, if we're honest, uh, we all just, we all struggle with. And you can see as you get to Philippians chapter 2 that the title of this little section, um, uninspired, I'll remind you that uh, translators have put in, it just says Christ's example of humility. And so what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to read just a few verses and then we'll get to the ones that we're going to um, look at this morning. So Philippians 2 Verse 1 says this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love and being in full accord and of one mind. Now, the people who he's speaking to here are genuine followers of Jesus Christ. And he's saying that we need to all be thinking like this. So if you're here this morning and you're like, well, I'm not a follower of Jesus Christ. I haven't put my faith and trust in him. I'm, I'm not a Christian. Someone brought me here and, and I don't really know Jesus. Um, then this is something for you to aspire to and for you to understand that this is an issue even for those who are saved in Jesus Christ. This is something that we will all continue to struggle with. And he says this, this is what the humility in Christ looks like. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know if you about you, but when I read that, and I've read it dozens of times in the last few days, getting ready to come here and preach this, I am very convicted by that. Just the, the need for increased humility in my life. Now, you might not be sitting there thinking, I'm, you know, I'm super proud. This message is for me this morning. Um, but the reality is that we all have pride in our lives. And some of you, actually, you're sitting there right now trying not to listen and to pay attention to what I'm saying. And, and you haven't really even thought about it, but that's because um, your flesh doesn't want to hear this. Because you know that there are areas of your life that are self-seeking and all about you and essentially are areas of pride that need to be dealt with. C.S. Lewis said that if anyone would like to acquire humility, which we should all aspire to, especially as God's word calls us to here, the first step is to realize that one is proud. At least nothing whatever can be done before it. And we need to understand that we have pride. We have pride. Turn to your neighbor and say, I have pride. You don't like, see, we don't even like doing that kind of thing because it's like, oh, I, don't, I don't really want to say that. In our, in our pride, we are like hesitant to do that. We're like, oh, I don't really want to. The reality is that we all have this as a problem. We all think more highly of ourselves than we should, and that's a problem. Um, pride is sin, and God opposes sin. We know that. James 4, 6 says specifically about uh, pride. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the, anyone know the next word there? The humble, yeah, God gives grace to the humble. He loves humility. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 15, 33, The fear of the Lord is the instruction in wisdom and humility comes before honor. So what we need to do is what 1 Peter 5, 6 says, And humble ourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that at the proper time he will exalt you. 
Now, the even idea of humility was not something that people had caught on to at all or valued in any way prior to Jesus coming. And this is something that's still in our day. It's not something that we value very much. I have a friend and he works for Scotiabank downtown Toronto with like the main office. And um, this guy loves Jesus and is seeking to be humble in everything that he does. And he is literally getting passed over for job opportunities because he's not self-promoting. He's not exalting himself. And he would be horrified if he knew that I was telling you about this right now. But that's just genuinely his heart. He's like, I don't want people to look at me. It's all God's grace upon me. And, and he has to fight that temptation all the time. But in the workplace, we want to know, like, do you think you're great? Are you good? Like, and, and people are encouraged to do this. This is a scary thing. Now, for some of us, this comes really naturally. And we would never say this out loud. But internally, you're kind of like, well, yeah. Like, have you met me? Because I'm pretty awesome. Now, hopefully none of you would actually say that, but that is our internal heart's desire or our way that we think about ourselves, which then causes us to act and think about others in different ways. D.L. Moody said this, I love this, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. Oh, that's heavy, eh? Let me say that again. God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. Proud people in the room right now don't want to hear this. Proud people on the stage with a microphone attached to their head at a pulpit don't want to preach this right now because we know that it's convicting. We know that it's convicting to have pride in our lives that God is not pleased with. But God desires for us to remove pride from our lives. And so what we're going to look at here is uh, what this humility should look like in our lives. And so the title of our message this morning is Humility, This is You in Christ. So we're going to look really just at verses 3, 4, and 5 and pull out three points this morning. So if you're one of those people who kind of need to know where the, the pastor's at so you can gauge how quickly you're going to be able to get out of here. Well, you know there's three points coming, but please just be patient as we go through this because if you really don't want to hear this, again, that's probably because of your pride. So... Verse 3, it says this, do nothing, and again, this is what our lives should look like with humility, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. These words address our inward action. And so this is point number one this morning, if you like to write down these things. Humility begins with how I think. It starts inside us. If we're going to work on humility in our lives and our pride, growing humility, shrinking our pride, then it's going to start in our heads. It's going to start in our hearts. Now, the, the phrase at the beginning there, do nothing from selfish ambition, or your Bible might say rivalry. Uh, this is what some scholars call a persistent seeking of personal advantage and gain over others, regardless of its effect on others. It's our selfish desire that I want to be lifted up and I want everyone to think great about me and I don't really care about other people. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, is this really such a problem that it's that blatant and obvious that, that people are actually acting like that? Well, yeah. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 17, Paul had to address some people who were sharing the gospel with the purpose of them looking good. It wasn't so that other people would come to know Jesus. It was because they wanted people to think super highly of them. Now, we need to do uh, nothing in this regard. Do nothing. That's pretty all-encompassing. I don't think I need to really talk through that. But look at the verse there again. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So there really should be nothing from our lives that's coming from our lives that's all about us. Now, if you're here this morning already, you're just, you're kind of feeling some conviction because you're like, okay, well, I do lots. That's all about me all of the time. That's a scary thing. Yeah. Now there's that word conceit there. We don't like that word. 
People don't like to be told they're conceited. And so I'm not going to look at any of you when I say that we are all conceited. Um, But this is our reality. Now, that word literally means uh, to seek empty glory. To seek empty glory. Now, why is it empty glory? Because it's glory that we don't deserve. We want people to think highly of us, but we don't necessarily deserve for them to think highly of us. And the reason that we're doing this is because of this pride. And we can't think about others because all we're doing is thinking about ourselves. This is why humility starts with how we think. How we think. Specifically, how we think about others. Others play a massive role in our pride. If you didn't have other people around, you wouldn't be boasting about yourself. You wouldn't be thinking more highly of yourself because you wouldn't have anyone to compare that to. And that's why others play such a huge and important role in how we react and interact with people if we're going to be people who are growing in our humility and fighting against pride. Um, we need to learn to hate this sin. Now, if you're here this morning right now and you're like, okay, well, it sounds like God is really opposed to this pride and I'm a prideful person, so God hates me. This is, that's not what I'm saying at all. God hates your sin, but he loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross so you could be forgiven of your sin if you put your faith and trust in him. Listen, God has not sought his own comfort and glory in that but has put himself aside, and we're going to read this in the next few verses in a, in a few minutes, but he put himself, his comforts of heaven aside that he could care for us. We need to be people who are doing this for others. But this doesn't happen when all we're thinking about is me, myself, and I, and my comfort, and how good things are going to be for me right now, later on today, and will it be all right in my situation? We need to be people who are increasing and growing in our care and concern for others, less about self. Now, the verse says in humility there. In humility, we're to count others more significant than ourselves. I want you to write down a couple words here, uh, just as you think about this. Um, This has everything to do with value. That word count has everything to do with value, how we actually value people. Now, this doesn't mean that other people are uh, more special than you. They might be. But it it has to do with how we treat them, how we consider them, how we respect them. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. This is an internal thing in how we think about other people. Um, I have to confess some pride to you right now. It was just over a year ago and I was stopped at a stoplight and it was one of those ones where um, you pull up and I'm in like the left turn lane and I'm really hoping for an advanced green. You know what I'm talking about? You ever get that moment? You're like the first person in line there. I was a little bit late for where I needed to be. And I'm really just thinking about how great and wonderful and important I am and hoping that God will just shine his grace and mercy and love upon me because I'm so special and awesome and I deserve an advanced green at this moment. That was, that was what was going on in my heart. And so I'm sitting there and there's, there's a, across from me, there's, there's three vehicles and, um, and there's one that's going to turn, and then there's two that are going to go straight through. And so the light turns green, and I don't get an advanced green. So already I'm a little bit upset that God hasn't, you know, saw how awesome I am and how much I deserve this advanced green. But the, the, the car that was turning was able to turn because there was no one beside me. And then the other two vehicles, the one on the far left, pulled through. And so as a good driver, you know, I'm just waiting for my opportunity to go and it'll be safe. And so I kind of pull out into the intersection a little bit. Again, it's a green, they have a green, but this van is just sitting there forever. They sat there forever. That's what it felt like. And I'm sitting there and it finally got to the, the point where I was like, I said out loud by myself in the car to my shame, I was like, come on, 
I was just so frustrated. Like, what is wrong with this person? Don't they know who I am? How important I am? Like, again, this all sounds ridiculous when you say it out loud, right? But I'm sitting there and I'm getting so frustrated. Then all of a sudden, this person, from whatever they were doing that was so much more important than me, glances up, notice the light screen, and pulls through the intersection. To my shame and horror, as they go by, I realize that I know them. And I sit there and all of a sudden, all of my pride is just completely exposed to myself of how much better and more important than them that I thought I was. That I could so be frustrated and upset with them. And to my shame, I sat there in my pride with great conviction weighing over me saying, oh man, that was not kind at all. That was not pleasing to the Lord, my action and my attitude there. I won't ask you to put up your hand if you've ever done that, but... Do you want to know who the person was at the light too? It was my senior pastor's wife. So like it's, this is like a person that I know really well. Now I tell you that um, only to add to my shame and embarrassment. I've confessed this to her. She laughed. She thought it was hilarious. She apologized. I was like, no, this is all about my heart. But we do this all of the time, right? When we're trying to get somewhere and, and, and someone's in ahead of us and they're just a little slower than we are. And we're just kind of like, oh, seriously, like you are, you are ruining my life right now. Just drive a little faster right now. Like, we never would say that out loud, but that's our attitude and that's our, our thoughts towards this person. We aren't treating and thinking and considering and counting and valuing other people as more significant than ourselves because in that moment, we're thinking we're more significant than, um, than they are. Now, here's the problem with that. If we're always thinking we're more significant than the people around us, that means, and again, we would never say this out loud, but we are then, if we're more significant than all the people around us, we are the most significant person in the entire world. Now, hopefully as I say that, you're like, well, no, I don't think that. But that's how we act a lot of the time. That's how we treat others. That's how we count them and then we interact with them. And this is a problem in our mind. This means that the way that we think needs to change. I wrote down two things that we need to do if we're going to renew our mind in this way that we can have um, humility that's, that's changing in how we think. Here's the first thing. You can write this down. They're not going to come up on the screen, but we need to think about self less. And I would just describe these as me thoughts. We have a lot of me thoughts. Have you ever thought in, in a day how much time you spend thinking about you, you know, what you're going to do after work, how you're going to relax, whether you're going to sit in that chair, whether the kids are going to ask you to do this, how you're going to spend your money when your kids are gone, what you'll be, you'll be able to do. All of these things go through our mind, all about us. What do I want to do at this moment? Is this comfortable for me? Is this the, those are all me thoughts. Now, humility is not thinking less of self in a value way, but in a time way. We need to have less time caring about what's going to happen for us and more time thinking about how we can care for others. This is why this verse says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. This is what Jesus did for us. Look at verse 6. Who though, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. This is what Christmas is all about, right? Christmas is the ultimate example of humility that God would so choose to leave his throne in heaven and graciously, mercifully count, consider us worth doing something for. We don't deserve that. All we ever do is just rebel and sin and be opposed to God. 
But this is what he does for us. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is what God has done for us. He put his comfort aside. He, he lived humbly to take care of us. Now, maybe you're thinking right now, well, you know, this seems kind of hard. This is difficult. This is going to like change my life kind of thing. Yeah, that's the reality of it. Philippians 3.14 says, press on towards the goal to the prize. Listen, in the end, God's going to take care of you. That's the problem with humility is so often we don't want to think more about other people and less about ourselves because we're worried that someone's not going to be looking out for us anymore. Listen, God's looking out for you. In Matthew 6, it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added onto you. Listen, God's going to take care of you. What you and I are called to do as followers of Jesus is to count others more significant than ourselves. So we need to have less me thoughts. Here's the second thing we need to do. We need to think the significance of others more. We need to value other people more. Now, often we don't do this because we're so quick to elevate ourselves. We don't think so highly of that person. So when they begin to tell a story, the me monster inside us begins to creep up. And as they're telling the story, you're like, oh, I have a better one than that. Here had someone, you're talking to them. And it's almost like they can't wait for your lips to stop moving because they have a story that's just going to like one up your story. I heard this comedian and he was talking about this and he was saying that he wishes he was one of the people who landed on the moon because then you can just beat anybody's story. You know, the person begins to talk about like, oh, I had this and it's like, oh, well, I walked on the moon. Oh, sorry. Okay, you, you got it, right? But, but this is the problem is that in conversation, we're not valuing the people enough. We're not caring. We're not really genuinely caring about what it is that they're sharing and their, their experiences and the things that they've gone through. And we need to value them more. This is the truth of the gospel, that God has valued us in such a way that he would come to this earth and make a way for us to be forgiven of our sin. And if you're here this morning and you've never had that and you need to understand that, that pride and this self-seeking way of living life is opposed to what God has designed and created you and I for and it is sin but God in his grace and his mercy has made a way for you to be forgiven of your sin through his son Jesus, the ultimate example of humility who came to this earth at Christmas and then at Easter we remember when he died and rose from the dead so that we can have life and forgiveness of him in him. This is the ultimate example of humility. This is the ultimate example of valuing others more than ourselves. Listen, this Christmas, we have an opportunity to value others more. To value others more by sharing the gospel with them. We're of no greater value than anybody else. That we, Somehow we deserve to hear the gospel more than anybody else. Listen, Pastor Melvin didn't ask me to tell you this, but this Christmas, invite everybody you know to church. And in doing that, you show the value that you care about them because you don't want them to be lost and not know Jesus Christ. You don't want them to be stuck and dead in your, their sin anymore. You want them to be cared for and loved. But that doesn't happen all the time just because genuinely when it comes down to it, we're not valuing those people like we should. And I'm convicted in this too. I have some people in my life right now who live in my neighborhood who I'm seeking to get them out to church this Christmas, that they would blatantly and clearly hear the truth of what Christmas is all about and the gospel message because I need to value them more and care about them more, not just here and now, but care about them for eternity, that they would know and love Jesus as their savior. But this doesn't happen because so often we're not thinking about other people, we're thinking about ourselves. We're stuck thinking about ourselves. This is why humility starts with how I think. So the way that we think needs to begin to change. 
So this starts in the head, and then it's going to be evident in our lives. That's where verse 4 comes in. This is kind of the action and what humility will look like in each of our lives. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This means that the effects of humility transforming and changing our mind will be evident then in the way that we live. This is point number two this morning. It's going to come up on the screen. Humility is proven by how I live. It'll be evident in how I live. Paul, he's giving the, the Philippian people here, I'm sure prayerfully and hopefully some direction on things that need to happen in their lives and then in your life and in my life as well. As we're people who are growing in humility, this will become more evident in our lives. It'll be proven in how we live. Now, the verse says, let each of you look not only to his own interest. That word look, it carries with it this active, intentional, it's not an accidental thing. It's not like a when it's convenient, I'm gonna care about other people. But that word look has a, a searching out. I'm going to take every opportunity that I can to look not only to my own interests, but also to the interests of others. The interests. Now, that in word interest there, you see that word interest in your Bible? I want you to put a line underneath it to like kind of highlight it. Because actually in the original language, that word's not there. And Bible translators, they had to put a word there because you can't have a fill in the blank in the Bible. But this verse is more accurately translated. Look not only to your own, but also to the of others. It would sound really weird if we just read it like that, right? Everyone would be like, it sounds like he did. He, did the pastor just have a stroke in the middle of that verse there? Like he's missed out some words. There. But the point is that, that Paul, he's, he's leaving it very vague. And so Bible translators, they can, you can read all sorts of different stuff. They kind of explain. We have to put a word in there. And so they didn't put the word need there. See what the word says? It says interest. Because need seems like this kind of just like basic value. Like I just, just enough to get by. But interest covers all of that. Because if you're caring for the interests of somebody, that means you're covering for sure, you know, whether they have clothes to wear, whether they have food to eat, whether they have shelter to live under. But, but interest goes beyond that onto, you know, things like their education, their health, their happiness, their family, their work situation, their personal issues, their education, their sleep included in that. So we are to look not only to our own of all of those things, because we do that really well, but also to those of others, the interests of others, not just the basic, like what they need to get by. Am I kind of making them happy? Are they kind of pleased with me? It, it, but to genuinely come alongside them and look not only to their to my own, whatever it is that you look for in yourself, but also to that of others. Again, this is convicting when we think about how often we spend time thinking about ourselves. Now notice though, that Paul doesn't give a command to take care of yourself. He just, he knows that's going to happen. Look not only to your own interests, because I know you're going to do that. That's kind of what he's saying there. He's like, listen, I know you're going to worry about you. You're going to do everything you can to take care of you. But what he's saying is we need to not just do everything that we can to take care of ourselves, but do everything that we can to take care of others as well. In Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus knows you're going to love yourself. But we need to love, this is what Paul's saying here too. We need to love our neighbor in this kind of way. It's not so much about what your church or your family or your friends or your kids or your job or your country can do for you, but what you can do for them. We need to count and value others as more significant. Looking not only to your own, 
whatever it is, fill in the blank, but also to that of others. This is what God's word is calling us to. Now, just, let's just take the one example of church because we're all there right now. How different would church be if we all just genuinely did this? If you came to church, not ju- again, Pastor Melvin didn't ask me to say any of this, okay? But not just looking out for you, not caring whether you got that seat that you love, not caring whether you were in the row that you wanted or whether the parking person greeted you the way that you were hoping or whether, if you came just to serve others, looking not only to your own church experience, but also to the church experience of, how different would this place be? How much more loving and caring and generous and welcoming would it be? And now, please hear, this is not a a condemning thing from me at all to you because as I come here, I've gotten to go to lots of different church plants and preach and get to meet lots of people. And, And this church is very welcoming. But listen, we all still have pride. So how much more welcoming and loving and useful to the kingdom advancing of God in Kelowna would this place be if we look not only to our own, but also to that of others? Amen? Wouldn't we want this place to be used by the Lord in that way? But again, this is, it doesn't happen because of the way that we think. And the way that we think often is this dirty little word that we don't like to say, and that's the word entitlement. Entitlement. We walk with entitlement and live with entitlement all the time. I heard this great definition. Humility takes nothing. Entitlement thinks it deserves everything. That's really how we live so often. John Piper defines humility as the opposite of entitlement. Humility then is going to be proven in how we live. Are we living with this entitled attitude and action, thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to? Don't talk to me like that. You can't treat me like that. Don't say that to me. Are you, like, that is all comes from entitlement and not from humility. Now, maybe you're sitting there right now and you're like, this is going to be really hard for me to do, to live humbly all the time. yes. Yes, it is. This is why we need God's help. This is why we need the grace of God on our lives because are there going to be days when you and I fail at this really bad and we completely walk in pride? Absolutely. Where we're so consumed with ourselves and put ourselves on the altar of praise and we want everyone around us to bow down and worship to us. Hopefully you don't actually have an altar that you get people to do that around you at, at your home. Like that's, but this is how our hearts are so often is that we're just caring about ourselves. My dad has been a great example of humility in my life over the years. I know that as a young man growing up, my dad worked very hard. And he was in ministry where he worked at a parachurch organization, or he worked at a parachurch organization, and he would come home many days. And all I wanted to do, I was like a really sporty kid. I wanted to like throw a ball, whether it's a football or a baseball. And then in this fall, I always wanted to shoot basketballs. And in the winter, we, I was always like, come on, I'll put goalie stuff on, shoot pucks at me, shoot balls at me. Like I always wanted to play with my dad. Now, Um, I know that my dad was doing this because I look back and I I know my dad wasn't perfect and there were probably lots of times he was like, absolutely not, I'm going to sit down. But I don't remember any of those. More often what I remember is going out and doing those things with my dad. Why? Because in humility, he was trying to count and consider and value others as more significant than himself. Was he perfect in this? No, not at all. In fact, I told him that I was going to use this as an illustration and he was like, oh, I hope those people never meet me because then they'll know it's a lie. But this is genuinely what he's aspiring for. He's aspiring for this humility. Do you look to the interests of others? Would your kids say that you look to their interest over your interest often? When you come home and your kids want you to get down on the floor and play with them, 
and all you want to do is crash on the couch. You saw the picture of my three cute little kids there on the screen. Every day when I come home, my youngest son is like, can we have a tickle fight? Can we have a tickle fight? He, like, we have hundreds and hundreds of tickle fights in a week. And I, and like, I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of times when I'm just like, I don't want to tickle you. I really like hearing you laugh, but this is just getting annoying. But I want to care for him and I want to love him and I want him to know that he's valued. When you come home and your spouse wants to go for a walk and all you want to do is just sit alone and read. When the tasks around your house begin to build up and you know that other people will take care of them eventually. But listen, do we look to the interests of others? Again, I'm not great at this. And often my attitude stinks at this. I'm learning to to do the behavior that's right and good, but my attitude needs to change. And this is where I need to go back to point number one and it needs to change how I think. I need to think humility more often. I need to change the way that my heart looks at the other people and how I act. So I wrote down two things here. If, it's, if humility is going to be proven in how I live and how we're actually going to live out humility, I wrote down two things. The first one is we need to pray for humility. We pray for all sorts of kinds of things in our lives, but do we genuinely pray for God to help us have victory over sin? Specifically, humility. Now, it's a scary thing to pray for humility because often the Lord uses humiliation to teach humility. That's the truth in my life. So many times I've been completely embarrassed only to learn that I had thought I was way too better than I really am. And I can stand up here today before you and tell you I'm a total disaster, okay? And so we need to pray that God would do this work in us, that he would help us grow in humility. But the second thing that we also need to do, and this one's not overly complex, is we need to just do it. We need to get a holy resolve to just put self aside and trust the Lord and say, God, your word says, and so in humility, I'm going to, in faith, just obey your word. And I'm going to count and I'm going to value and I'm going to consider others more significant than myself. Paul, he was willing to do this. In verse 17, he says, even if I'm poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, he's saying, listen, I will just like, I will end my life if I have to. I will give it all because I care about you. I'm glad and I rejoice with you because he wanted in the end for the people to be loved and to be cared for. Will we be people like this? Will we be people who there is evident humility growing and increasing in our lives because we are desiring to honor the Lord with what we do and with what we say and with the way that we treat other people? Now, humility doesn't come naturally for us because of sin. Sin has entered into each of our lives. Being born in human nature, we have sin inherited from Adam and Eve. And in that, we care so much about ourselves. Adam and Eve, great example of that. Caring about themselves, their comfort, their wisdom. And we want to try this for us, not thinking about God. They went ahead. They ate the fruit. They disobeyed God. So this is something that we genuinely, we need God's help with. This is a, pride is a, we need a come down from heaven kind of thing for God to have victory over this in our lives. So look at verse uh, 5. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We have that. We have that come down from heaven kind of thing. This is our, it's possible because of Jesus Christ. It's impossible without him. This is point number three. Humility is impossible without Jesus. If you know people who do not know Jesus Christ, but seem to be very humble, it's all a facade. 
True and genuine humility is only possible when you know Jesus Christ because you understand the perfect and the holy one and you have the example of his humility, of his putting aside his comfort as we've already read through verses six through eight to come down to earth and die on a cross so that we could have life. We need this supernatural kind of come down from heaven humility in our lives and that comes through Jesus Christ. Apart from him, we deserve hell not praise. We don't deserve worship. He owed nothing and he paid everything. The son of God took punishment for sin that you and I deserve. He didn't walk around with entitlement. He lived with humility. This needs to be us. We need to have this mind amongst ourselves, which is ours in Christ Jesus. The love of God, the work of Christ in you, then should fuel you to walk in humility. This is why the gospel is so important for us, that we remind ourselves of the gospel all of the time. Because it's really quick to remind yourself of the gospel and be like, Jesus died for my sin. Jesus died for my sin. And all we're looking at there is the end result, that what has been done happened so that our sin is forgiven and we are made right with God. But we need to take a step back for a second and look at who it is that this Jesus who did this for us is. This is the same one who in Colossians 1 spoke the universe into existence. Hebrews 1, it says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And he loves us. And Jesus, that guy, died on the cross so that we could be forgiven of sin. This should cause us to be greatly humbled. To say, wow, he who made and sustains all things loves me in this way. This means that as we preach the gospel to ourselves, there's no room for self-promoting trying to humble brag about how great we are, caring so much about whether our lawn looks better than our neighbors or whether we have the newest and the fanciest or whatever it is, or even having any opportunity to, to do that me monster kind of thing where someone says something and you kind of try and one-up them because you just, in humility, you're recognizing that you've been loved so much and you don't deserve that. That's the grace of God on our lives. But none of this happens if we don't come to Jesus Christ and understand how much we've been loved. No one's bragging about how great they are at the foot of the cross. Nobody. Nobody thinks they're amazing in light of understanding truly who Jesus is and what he's done for them. Pride is our goal, and so humility then is going to be impossible apart from the perfect one, perfect in humility, and that is Jesus Christ. Pride is ugly, and we need Jesus. Amen? Paul Tripp said this about a pride and proud people. We all know it. We've all seen it. We've all been uncomfortable with it, and we've all done it. The bottom line is this. Proud people, don't tend to, or proud people tend to talk about themselves a lot. Proud people tend to like their opinion more than the opinions of others. Proud people think their stories are more interesting and engaging than others. Proud people think they know and understand more than others. Proud people think they've earned the right to be heard, so why don't other people listen to them? Proud people think they have glory to offer. Proud people, because they are basically proud of what they know and what they have done, talk a lot about both. Proud people don't reference weakness. Proud people don't talk about failure. Proud people don't confess sin. So proud people are better at putting the spotlight on themselves than on, the shine, than on shining the light of their story and their opinions on the glory of God and the undeserved grace found in Jesus Christ. We can't stop that without God's help. 
We can't stop that without understanding the mercy and the love that Jesus has given to us. So this decreases, this pride decreases the more we look at Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we all with unveiled face behold the glory of God. The more we behold the glory of God, the verse goes on to say that we are transformed into him, his image. We need to look at Jesus. We need to understand his love, who he is, and what he has done for us if we're going to be changed. Let me read again verses 6 through 9. Who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. It wasn't something that he had to hold on to like he could lose it. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. This is who Jesus is. The perfect example of humility. Perfectly putting away pride. Perfectly loving and caring for other people. Will this happen in our lives? Are we people who have understood the gospel and the undeserved grace and mercy of Jesus Christ? Or are we people who think that we deserve love and affection and worship and glory of the people around us? Listen, God loves you. He loves you so much that he died on a cross that you can be forgiven of your sin. If you're hearing that for the first time, you just need to know that this morning, that you can be forgiven of your sin, that you and I have sin that separates us from God, but we can be forgiven. And there'll be people up here afterwards who can talk to you about that. But if you're here and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you understand what he has done for you, then that should cause us to, in humility, say, God, you're amazing and I'm not. And come before him and in humility worship him and honor him with how we think, with how we live, all because we understand the grace and mercy that's been poured out to us through Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, humility needs to be seen in your life. And if it's not, then you need to seek the Lord and ask him to show it to you. Ask him to show it to you that you and your life might be changed for his glory. Let's bow our heads together. Maybe right now where you are, just with your head bowed, you need to come before the Lord and confess to him your lack of humility and your pride. Maybe just even as I've been speaking, you know there's been things in this week that you have done, attitudes that you have had. Maybe you never even said anything or no one around you would have known how prideful you were in that moment, but you were only looking to your own interests. You weren't really caring about those people around you and you need to just come before God and admit it and confess it to him and ask him to renew your mind. To renew and change the way that you think about others. That he would get glory in your life. Come before him and confess your sin. Know there's forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. Now there's hope and there's joy and there's peace in doing this. God, I confess, we confess right now. How often you and your glory and caring for others is not at the front of our minds and our motivation and how we live and talk. And God, I just pray that you would help us. Help us to see your greatness and your significance and your holiness and to increase in us humility. Humility that's lived out in lives that uh, by your spirit are changing, becoming more like your son, Jesus Christ, who put aside all of the comforts and, and the glories of heaven to love us and to care for us. God, would humility be growing in our lives as we understand the truth of the gospel and your love for us. Bless this time and our worship now to you in Jesus' name.